Would you take the word of God and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26. As you turn there in your Bibles, this chapter we find Paul is standing before a great company of people, King Agrippa uh, being the uh, main man on the scene with uh, Festus. And uh, King Agrippa gives an opportunity for Paul to respond or to give a defense of himself, and he really uses this opportunity to share his personal testimony uh, certainly there's many things that we can look at, but I would like to look here at the second part. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 of Acts 26 and um, verse 19. We spoke on the heavenly vision last week. We talked about what that means. What is a heavenly vision? And I want to look at an aspect here to build on what Paul says after he recounts uh, his meeting with the Lord on the road to Damascus and God's calling upon his life. So notice with me Acts 26, verse 19. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to this morning. Acts 26, verse 19, the Word of God says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple, and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other thing than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first, that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. Have you ever been accused of being crazy for being a Christian? Go to church? Believe the Bible? Talk about being saved? Have you lost your mind? He says, verse 25, But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. I don't know if you thought about maybe your reply, but if somebody says, you're crazy, would your tendency be to call that person noble? Thank you, most noble person. I'm not mad, he says, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I of whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God, that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, 
This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Now I want to bring your attention to verse 19 where Paul says, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And then verse 21 Or verse 22, he says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. I want to um, preach a message that I've entitled, a little different this morning, on obedience and dependence. Obedience and dependence. That's what Paul was. He was both obedient and dependent Obedient to the Lord, dependent on the Lord, and those things in our lives must not be separated. And they were not separated for Paul. So let's pray this morning, ask Lord to help us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And as he has an opportunity to give witness and testimony of the work that you've done in his life, I pray, Lord, that uh, we might be able to have the same type of testimony that we might stand on the same ground that Paul is standing with it with regards to his obedience and his dependence on you and his service for you. So help us to learn some things that might benefit us and instruct us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I mentioned in this uh, chapter, there are many things that we can focus on, but I'm trying to take this opportunity in those last few chapters of the book of Acts to emphasize... Uh, Paul as being an example for us. And what I mean by that is that Paul is facing difficulties. He is in the midst of a trial. Uh, He has been serving God for many years and his service for God has brought opposition. And here Paul is acting in his capacity uh, not with uh, freedom to go throughout Asia Minor, not with freedom to go through Macedonia and Achaia and plant churches. His heart at that time, we know, he had written to the church at Rome how he had planned to go to Spain <laughs> and to go as on his way to Spain, he would stop by Rome. And so Paul had plans with respect to his ministry, we might say as a church planner or as a missionary as the apostle to the Gentiles. He evidently had a desire to do more for God, but he has been inhibited because of the persecution against him. Because there are some who are standing against the gospel, against the ministry of the apostle Paul, and against Jesus Christ. And so I want us to, in a sense, get into the mindset and to the the heart and the circumstances that the apostle Paul is in, And to see if we can learn some things about his life that might help us benefit us. Because there might be some scenarios where we look at the book of Acts and we might say, well, that's a good, when we look at the life of Paul in Asia Minor or in Macedonia. And Achaia said, well, that's not really for me. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a church planner. I'm not a minister. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. And we may somehow put in our lives a wall of separation and we say, well, that's not for me. But when we come here to the life of the Apostle Paul, there is no avoiding. This is for us. He is not acting in his capacity as a missionary. He is acting in his capacity as a Christian. In a sense, Agrippa says, give an answer for why you are here. And Paul 
gives an answer. Now, in this answer, he um, talks about that he has not been disobedient. And we might say that Paul has been obedient. If he has not been disobedient, he has been obedient to God, but he does not divorce his, his obedience to God with his dependence on God. And we have to learn to do the same thing in our own lives. We have to learn to obey the Lord. And as we obey the Lord, we have to learn to be dependent on the Lord. And those two are necessary for this reason. That when we find ourselves obeying God, the perspective of the Christian should not be, look at what I've done. Look at me. His perspective ought to be, I've done this with the help of God. I've continued to this day because God has been my help. That should be the testimony of the Christian. And in that sense, we find some characteristics in this chapter on obedience and dependence. And I would like to give some of those truths to you that might help us. So in verse 19 here, Paul uh, talks about how he has not been disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And then he expounds and he really sets forth uh, some, uh, for us, I think, God's word by inspiration for us uh, to benefit us as to what are some of those characteristics of obedience. If we're going to be obedient, what uh, if it was true in Paul's life, if he said, I have not been disobedient and here's what I went about to do, we might say that if he didn't do those things, then he would not have been obedient. And so in our lives, we can see how can we be obedient, and that means that those same characteristics that were in the life of Paul should be found in our lives if we're going to be obedient to God. Here is the first characteristics. We see, first of all, in our text, that his obedience was without delay. If you notice in verse 20, he says, but, now after he received the heavenly vision, he says, but, showed first unto them of Damascus. Now, if you remember the timeline of the life of the Apostle Paul, as a persecutor, he was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus. He had a letter from the high priest that he could imprison and give a testimony against those who were found of that way. And if you remember, it was on the road to Damascus that he met the Lord. The Lord told him to go to Damascus and to wait until he received uh, uh, some more information. And God sent Ananias to him and when Paul heard from Ananias that Paul was going to be a light to the Gentiles and he recovered his sight, uh, we noted in the book of Acts already that he immediately began to serve God. He immediately began to preach Jesus Christ right at Damascus. And what we learn here is in chapter 20, Paul says that I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And here is how I was not disobedient. I first showed first unto them of Damascus. And so what we learn about the obedience of the Apostle Paul is that his obedience was without delay. And what we learn from the scriptures is that delay is disobedience. You have children. Maybe you had children. Or you have children. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, the children have developed a skill that they obey, they want to obey on their term and on their timetable. 
And sometimes the mindset of a child is as long as I obey when I want to obey eventually. You may have heard this. I hear that sometimes from our children. I said, didn't I tell you to do this? And they'll say something like this. I was going to. I was going to. I'm not going to ask for parents if that is the same with your children and his mind. Uh, but what is that? That's delay. And I would say something like this. Uh, delay is disobedience. And Paul, when he received the heavenly vision, he did not delay in obeying God. And I fear that many of us as Christians, we it's not that we don't want to obey God. It's not that we uh, don't want to serve God, but often we are engaged in delaying our obedience to God. And it might mean in various capacities. We say, well, I would like to witness, but... I'm just not going to do that now. Eventually I will. Or I, I'm going to be faithful to church, but uh, you know I, I'm not going to do that now. Eventually I will. God knows my heart. And what we know from the Word of God is that obedience, if it is truly obedience, will be without delay. It was for the life of the Apostle Paul. He mentions here one of the characteristics of his obedience is that it was without delay. It was immediate. And notice here he, he says, uh, But showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. And so what we learn here is not only that obedience is without the labor, we go into the second principle, and that is uh, that obedience brings about opportunities that become greater in scope. If you notice, he began in Damascus, and then he went to Jerusalem. Damascus, or Jerusalem was bigger uh, than Damascus, but then he uh, goes beyond Jerusalem and he says throughout the coast of Judea. So now it's not just a city, but it's the coast of Asia, uh, the region there, the southern part of, uh, uh, of, of Israel, and then to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, that means, right, he went to Asia Minor. And then he went to Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, and Achaia in those regions, and came back in Asia Minor. And so what I'm saying is when we look at the obedience of Paul, we saw that his immediate obedience, because it was without delay, God gave him opportunity first in Damascus, then in Jerusalem with a greater scope, then in Judea with a greater scope, and then throughout the world of the Gentiles, that's a greater scope. And so when God, when we find ourselves obedient to God, we will find that God will open our ministry and our influence and our obedience to have a greater scope. But that will never be open unless we begin first at Damascus. So obedience is without delay, but also obedience finds opportunities uh, where there is a greater scope of influence. You know, often uh, people say, well, I want to have influence. I want to have an impact in this world. Begin with where you are. You know, we, we, we live in a, a world where things are fast changing. And uh, one of the elements that we find today in our society is that everybody today wants to influence the world. And what I mean by that today is you, you have uh, podcasts and YouTube channels. And you have all those things where everybody, their heart is to influence the world. But they have very little influence in their immediate place where they are. 
in their immediate churches, in their immediate families. And so we have created kind of this environment where everybody wants to change the world through a podcast. And yet they have very little influence in the immediate places where they are. And when we find in the Word of God, it is always true. I think about the Apostle Paul, not only himself, but remember, you remember every time that he brought somebody along with them, the two examples, we have Timothy and, and Silvanus. Timothy, when Paul took him, the Bible says he had a good reputation among the believers at Lystra and Derby. He was obedient to God in those local places. And so Paul thought to himself, he is profitable for the ministry. I'm going to give him a greater scope of influence because he was obedient there. When he took Silvanus, remember Silvanus was a faithful man. We, we, There's no title. He was not an apostle. He, we, don't, we don't see anything referenced with him as a deacon. He was a servant of God in Jerusalem. Uh, but God uh, saw fit that he would go and accompany Paul because he had been faithful in Jerusalem. And you find that pattern throughout the Word of God. Uh, don't seek for, I, I want the, the greatest influence, the greatest impact. Seek to be obedient to God where you are. That's what obedience brings about. It brings about opportunities where there's a greater scope of influence. I, I think about how that naturally occurs. Do you think about how that naturally occurs in our world? For example, I, uh, I was born of my, uh, well, let me go back to those generations. My, great, my grandfather... Uh, David Knickerbocker uh, raised uh, five boys for the Lord. And that's five. And he uh, invested in them and, and taught them. And by the grace of God, all of his boys served God. And that was his scope of influence. Now he was a church planner and started Christian schools and so forth. And uh, uh, many people at his funeral, I remember, stood up and says, uh, He gave me the gospel, led me to Christ. What a wonderful thing to be able to say. But you know what happened naturally is uh, after his five sons, then there came the grandchildren. And that scope of influence went to five to now over, I think it's over 30 grandchildren. And he passed away, and I remember going to his funeral. But now I think of my father who had four boys, and that was his scope of influence. But now he has many grandchildren, and now he has that scope of influence has expanded. And so that naturally happens. And I think sometimes when we, if we're not careful, we, we might look at the immediate grand impact and we might neglect the things that truly make a difference in the long run. I think of my dad when he would share about his ministry and uh, uh, if you would gauge, let's say, his ministry in France, you think about, well, how many souls uh, did he lead to Christ and how many churches were planted? And you might look at the numbers themselves and you might say, well, that's not a whole lot. But he says, I rather invest my time and my children, I rather, I rather succeed with my children than succeed in ministry in the eyes of men. And what he meant by that is have the great numbers and the large churches and all those churches started. If I can succeed with my children, I will have succeeded. But that's limited in scope. But in the long run, it's truly not. Because now not only his children are serving the Lord, but Lord willing, one day his grandchildren. And so you have the scope that begins, but that begins with obedience in your sphere of influence. 
So we have see, we see obedience is without delay. Obedience uh, gives opportunities for a greater scope of influence. But also we see, if you notice with me in verse 22, uh, when he says, in his service for God and his scope of influence, as his scope became greater, it is for this cause, verse 21, that the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me, verse 22, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue until this day. Here's what we learn about obedience. Obedience is not devoid of dependence on God. In other words, what Paul says is, I did what I did. My scope of influence became what it did. Asia, Macedonia, Achaia, the world of the Gentiles, it became what it did with the help of God. And what Paul is saying is, I have not done this alone. God has been my help. I I, I can, in this sense, I can't take the credit for it. I'm reminded, often uh, people would say, uh, hey, our, uh, to my dad, all your sons are serving the Lord. How did you do that? And here's will be the reply my dad would always say, by the grace of God. With the help of God. Why? Uh, because you, you can't really take the credit if you're serving, obeying God. You're seeking to serve Him. You're depending on Him. Uh, you have faith that as you serve Him that uh, God will bring about what He desires to bring about. And so he says, uh, with all of this opposition, I obtained help from God. And that's how I, notice what he says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue until this day. The obedience is fulfilled, is only fulfilled in dependence on God. Notice, Having obtained help from God, I continue until this day. So he says, I continue until this day, and, you know, God was part of it. No, no, no. I only continue to this day, having obtained help from God. And so obedience cannot, is not devoid of dependence on God. It is not where we take the credit and say, look at what I've done. Paul says, well, look at how many churches I've planted. Look at how many souls I've led to Christ. Look at all that I was able to do. He says, no, God has helped me. Obedience is always found in dependence on God. He obtained, he continues because he receives help from God. But I want you to notice another element of his obedience. Notice that his obedience, which in the practical sense was him being a witness, not only in Damascus, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the Gentile world, notice his obedience in being a witness was without prejudice. Notice what he says in verse 22, I continue to this day witnessing both to small and great. You remember, he says, you're going to be, Paul, a light to the Gentiles. And he didn't say, now you're going to have a ministry to the poor, and you're going to, or you're going to have a ministry to the rich, or you're going to have a ministry to the middle class. No, his obedience, notice, was without prejudice. In other words, he was completely obedient in being a light to the Gentiles. He, he, he didn't pick and choose who he would minister, who, who he would witness to. He saw all men as equal with regards to their soul and their standing with God. And sometimes if we're not careful in our obedience, we might be selective. Selective in our obedience. Where we say, well, uh, I like this part, so I'll obey this part. 
But, you know, I, I don't think that this is uh, going to work over here, so I'm not going to do what God wants me to do in this because I, I, uh, I, I perceive better than God. Have you ever done that? Now here he's talking about witnessing without prejudice, both to small and great, but I, I wonder sometimes if we do that, we are commanded to witness. I, I wonder if we sometimes um, wrestle with our obedience where we say, well, you know, I, I can see that person's not going to probably receive what I'm going to say. So I, I just... I perceive that, and we think that we perceive better than God. And let me just remind you on this note that we witness not because somebody will receive it. We witness because that's being obedient to God. There, there ought to be no selection. Paul says, I witness to both small and great. I continue to this day with the help of God being obedient without prejudice in my ministry. That's part of obedience. And so his obedience uh, w- was not selective. Was not selective. Uh, I know this is human nature. And so here's what we tend to do in our human nature. We say, well, here's all the areas where I'm obedient in to God. And if I say, well, what areas are you not obedient? Well, let's not talk about those. We, we tend to emphasize those areas where we are obedient. And the areas where we're not obedient, we say, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a working progress there, but I'll, I'll deal with those later. And so obedience, notice, is, is without prejudice. It, it's not selective. He was not selective in his obedience. We also notice, as he continues, he expresses in verse 22, he says, saying, none other thing than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. And he goes on in verse 23, says that Christ should suffer, and that he should be first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Uh, notice a little later, it's interesting, Paul, when he speaks, he says, everywhere I went, I, I did not speak based upon my authority. He says at the end of verse um, 22, saying, none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. So he says, I was um, exclusive in my obedience. So his, in his obedience, his message was exclusively rooted in the scriptures. That's what he says. In other words, remember the debate there is the Jews are upset with him. And all he's showing to King Agrippa is that he tells him a little later, you know, you're aware of what the Old Testament announces. You're aware that Messiah is coming. And all I'm saying is he's come. You know those things, King Agrippa. Go down to uh, verse um, 26. Notice what he says to King Agrippa. Uh, For the king knoweth these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. So he says, Agrippa, you know the Bible. You've been instructed by your counselors. You know what's coming. You know about Messiah. You know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to be like. This has not been in a secret. It's not done in a corner. It's not like this is a mystery that I'm preaching something that's new. Oh, no. I'm preaching what Moses and the prophets have said. And I've, I've been exclusive in that. And so he says in verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the what? Prophets. Prophets. Uh, Here's what he does not say. King Agrippa, do you believe me? That's not what he says. 
Uh, we may have the tendency to do that. Uh, we might be witnessing to somebody or to convince somebody of the truth, and we might say something like this, well, don't you believe me? And that's not where our authority is rooted in. Our authority is rooted in the Scriptures. Uh, uh, notice in this text, his, his contention here is not, they disagree with me. Is They're not heeding the Scriptures. Again, he mentions that in verse 22, saying none other thing than those which the prophets and Moses that say should come. And verse 27, I know, uh, uh, believest thou the prophets. Here is the issue. And by the way, we have the illustration. You remember when the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man went to hell, Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, and he asked if uh, uh, Lazarus could be raised from the dead and go to his brothers to tell them. And uh, you remember what, uh, what they said. They have Moses and the prophets. And if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe the, the one is raised from the dead. Let's find some encouragement that if we're going to be obedient, that the message that we have is to be exclusively rooted in the Scriptures. The, the, the fight, the spiritual battle going on in the world is not a fight of flesh and blood. It's not us trying to convince people by our uh, artistry and our uh, uh, worldly wisdom to somehow convince somebody. They need to believe Moses and the prophets. They need to believe the Word of God. And so what we have to say, this is not uh, my opinion, it's the declaration of the Word of God. And by the way, that will help us to be obedient to God and to continue. Why? Because the authority is not rooted in us. If it was, then there'd be grounds to quit. Nobody's listening. Pastor, how many doors have you all knocked on in the last five years? I can't count them. How many John Romans have you left? Has it been worth it? Well, how do you measure how something is worth it? I would say it's worth it because we've obeyed the Lord. But somebody said, well, the numbers don't bear that out. Uh, how many people have come as a result? That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Because our obedience is not rooted in a confidence in what we can do and what we can produce. It's rooted in, our message is exclusively rooted in, in the Scriptures. Uh, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So it's, uh, it's not about us. Let's, if we're going to be obedient, here's what we need to do. Let's take ourselves out of the picture and place Christ at the forefront. So his message, he was obedient and his message was exclusively rooted in the Scriptures. There's another thing we find in verse 25 and 26. He said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for the things was not done in a corner. Here is what we learn from the Apostle Paul, that his boldness, as he's obeying God, his boldness was in the truth. His boldness was in the truth. Uh, notice he says, when, when he says, you're, you're crazy, Paul. You've lost your mind. You've become mad. Uh, and what he's saying is, 
Right, he knew Paul before. He told them that he was a Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, people know his record. They know his life before his salvation. And so Festus, the only thing he can say is, you've lost your mind. And, and the reply from Paul is, no, I speak the truth in soberness. This is not madness. I, I am bold because now I know the truth. The Bible tells us in John, and this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. That's the truth. And what we can be bold in is we can be bold in the truth. You see, boldness, again, just like uh, our message being rooted in the Scriptures, boldness is not self-generated. When we say, well, he's preaching with boldness, it's not because there's boldness that's mustered up in me. It's because we're giving out the truth of God. Boldness is found in the truth. It's not found in ourselves. Wow, that person, he is, he is bold in the way he says things. But it's not just like that. Yeah, that's, that's my son. He's, he's bold. Okay, now they're all. Okay, let's move on here. And so his boldness was in the truth. The truth. There's one more thing we find, and that is verse 29. He says, And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Here's what we learn. His passion, his heart was for the salvation of the lost. Here he is as the prisoner. We could say, your ministry's over, Paul. Now, his, his ministry as a church planner. He's going to continue his influence beyond that in Rome and writing. And certainly part of what we have today is because of this imprisonment in the Holy Scriptures. And so we're, we're grateful for Paul's imprisonment. And he would say the same statement that the things that happened unto him had fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. But as he shares this, we might say, uh, Paul, your, your ministry is over. It's done. There's, there's nothing left for you to do. And the people, the onlookers, might say, well, here's a Christian, and maybe he'll give up on his Christianity since he sees what that brings about in his life, and he'll just uh, quit. And really, the, the argument between Agrippa and Festus is, there's no crimes here. Why did he have to appeal to Caesar? And, and there's kind of a confusion. Why, why would this man be, be so given? And I think his, his passion here comes through. Here is a crowd, and we talk about there's King Agrippa, there's the chief captains, there's Festus, uh, Bernice, uh, King Agrippa's sister, and there's a great crowd of people gathered and assembled listening to Paul on that day. And here is what he says, I have it better than all of you. As I'm standing here as the prisoner, and all of you, you're standing on your throne, you're standing in a place of authority, and I have it better than you. I wish you were where I was, except for these bonds. You see, his passion was for the salvation of the lost. And in his obedience, he counted, he counted the reproach of Christ, we might say, greater riches than the authority of Agrippa, the throne of Agrippa, the governorship of Festus, the military might of the chief captains, the wealth of the Sanhedrin council. 
He says, I'll take Christ any day over anything you all have. And I wish, this is my heart for you, I wish that you were just like I am. That's my heart. You see, all of those things help us to find out why was Paul obedient? How was he, obe- how was he able to continue until that day? He was able to continue because from the very beginning, he obeyed without delay. And as he obeyed, God gave him a greater scope of influence. And as God gave him a greater scope of influence, he continued to obey in dependence on God, God enabling to serve him. He witnessed in obedience without prejudice in everywhere he went. He, uh, his boldness was rooted in the scriptures and the truth. And he had a heart for the souls of men. And he esteemed the reproach of Christ of much greater value. He, he wanted those who were criticizing him, blaspheming him, falsely accusing him, imprisoning him, holding him in bonds. He wanted them to know what he had in Christ. I believe all those things make up for why Paul was obedient, why he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And the Lord help us as we seek to obey the Lord. Let's pray.